This is Transforming Truth with the life-changing Word of God that heals, delivers, fills you with the Holy Spirit, all for your supernatural walk in Christ. Stay tuned for Transforming Truth with Chris Palmer. And good morning, Detroit. This is Reverend Chris Palmer here on the Transforming Truth radio broadcast. Praise God. I want to thank you for tuning in tonight. Listen, if you're just getting into the broadcast or you're just tuning in by accident or maybe you wait for the show and you're tuning in on purpose, I don't want you to touch that dial because I believe tonight that the Spirit of God has a supernatural plan to meet you, to heal you, to save you, and to deliver you. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And I declare tonight that the power of God, His glory and His anointing, is going to touch your life in a way that you have yet to experience. I believe there's someone you're even listening to the broadcast right now and you're saying in your heart, Is God real? How do I know to believe in God? Should I believe in God? Listen, friend, He's as real as you are. And He's as real as your next thought. And the Lord God, Jesus Christ, wants to meet with you tonight. He wants to transform your life. He wants to make a way for you. He does all things well. And he cannot fail. And God wants to speak directly into your life. And so I believe that you're listening by divine appointment. And so I don't want you to touch that dial. And as we open up this broadcast, I believe that something very special awaits for you. And so it doesn't matter. The Bible says, first of all, that all who call upon the Lord shall be saved. That's Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. And so it doesn't matter what you've done. You may have had... You know, ten abortions. You may have been raped. You may have uh, or, or still have an addiction in your life. Or you may have said some things to somebody that you don't ever think can be forgiven. There is nothing that you've done that the grace of God and the mercy of God cannot overcome, friend. His grace is deep. His mercy is wide. And His love is everlasting and he wants you to receive him tonight. Let me pray for you. Father, I open up this broadcast to you. I thank you for your spirit, the mighty Holy Ghost that leads and guides us into all truth. I pray for every person listening tonight that the spirit of the living God would come upon them in a mighty way. In the name of Jesus, I command you to receive the love of God. Father, I pray for every person that's tuned in that the eyes of their inner man would open that they would have a glorious unveiling and revealing of your love towards them. That transforming love, God, that's able to cleanse a person's heart, to set a person's destiny on the right track. The Spirit of God just spoke to me and said, there's somebody that's listening and God is taking your destiny and putting it on his track right now. You've inquired about the Lord and asked him about your purpose and the thing that you're here for. And you've gotten off track, and God is putting that on track right now. And so, Father, I command destinies to begin to take shape and take form and to blossom right now in the name of Jesus. And I thank you for your mighty power that goes before this broadcast and sets people free, heals the sick, raises the dead, cleanses the leper. We thank and praise you for it now. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to take the time to welcome you tonight uh, to the broadcast, and there's been some exciting things that have been happening in the ministry, and uh, and so we want to just take time to uh, give God praise. Uh, I've been traveling a lot, quite extensively, actually, and uh, so 
Uh, but God's been doing miraculous things. Just got back from South America, and I'll be headed to Europe, to Sicily, coming up in a couple weeks, and have been in different cities across the United States. And God is really pouring out His Spirit and ministering, seeing people healed, saved, delivered. Listen, I know that uh, a lot of people don't get the opportunity to travel the world as a uh, evangelist like myself gets to do, but that's okay. Uh, you may not be called to do that, but I can tell you that God is really moving across the world. People really get healed. They really get saved. They really get delivered. I remember when I was a young man, I would think to myself, do, do the, before I really knew the power of God and his supernatural power, and God was patient with me, but I used to ask myself and say, do these people really get healed? Do they really get, I mean, what they say, does that really happen? And I can tell you today, yes, it does. It absolutely happens. And it's very exciting to see that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that the God of the Old and New Testament, he is alive and he's well and he's working on the behalf of his people. And that same God has made himself personally available to you tonight, friend. You can receive a healing or a touch in your life. He's alive and he's well. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Uh, I want to remind you before we get started that we are a listener-supported broadcast of the Transforming Truth. Broadcast has been a blessing or a support in your life. We thank you and, and, and are appreciative of you. And if you want to continue to lift us up in prayer uh, or you want to make a financial contribution, you can go to www.chrispalmerministries.com. Or you can email us, info at chrispalmerministries.com. Or you can write P.O. Box 403, Wald Lake, Michigan, 48390. And support and partner with us. And uh, so we appreciate you and we love you. Also, we have a podcast, On the Road with Chris Palmer, that is available for your listening enjoyment. Some people say, I like that show or this show. Uh, where can I get it? Well, you can go to iTunes and pick up our podcast, On the Road with Chris Palmer. I want to get into the Word of God tonight. And uh, I was preaching uh, and traveling and ministering on this topic, and I wanted to share it on the broadcast tonight, and I really feel that uh, that it will be a blessing to you, and it's just in my heart. Uh, but I want to read to you what it says here in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, a very popular verse. It says here, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The scripture here makes reference to your heart. Now, when you see the word heart in Scripture, it is referring to your inner man. It does not refer to an organ. It's not even referring to your emotions. Your heart goes beyond your mind, will, and emotions. Your heart is referring to your inner man, your spirit. This is the real you. It's the eternal side of you. When you were procreated by your parents and you became an eternal being, you first became and were established as a spirit. Spirit is a heavenly substance whereby we are composed and made. It says in John chapter 4 verse 24 that God is spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit or in truth. That means out of their spirit based upon the truth that's been revealed to them by the Holy Ghost. So you're a spirit and the only way that you can worship God is if you worship him from your spirit man. That takes revelation, knowledge and understanding to do that. So you're listening tonight and you're saying, well, how come I have been unable to connect with God? Well, here's the reason. All of us are born with a hunger and a curiosity about God. I've met atheists. I've met Buddhists. I've met Muslims. I've been around a lot of places and a lot of different cultures and met a lot of different people in the world. 
And one thing I can say about everybody, at some point in our lives, every single person, I just saw a statistic that said that 108 billion people have walked this planet. And if that's the case, every all 108 billion people were at some point in their life curious about eternal things and curious about God. Some of them took them and denounced God. Some of them took them and went after God. But we're all born with a desire to know God because we're eternal and he's the only eternal uh, that's giving life. Now, uh, because of that, because we're born with being curious about God, we have a desire to want to know who he is, a desire to want to know what we're from, what happens to a lot of people is they just give up. They give up searching. They give up trying to find him. Because what happens is they pursue that curiosity from their outer man, from their flesh, and they never find God. You can't find him with your outer man. Your brain can't even access God. That's why science can only uh, verify that he exists, can only go to support that he exists, but it cannot prove to you concisely that he exists because he's a spirit and scientific equipment cannot usually de cannot period detect spirit because it doesn't have the ability to monitor and study the spirit realm but you have something inside you actually you are something that can monitor that realm and your spirit now because of this because you because that part of you that accesses god is a spirit or your heart god's very protective of your heart now i want you to write that down Remember, God is very protective of your heart. Your heart will steer you towards God or it will steer you away from God. Whoever has your heart and whatever has your heart is going to determine your destiny. And so when we're going to run down scripture here in just a second, we're going to see that God is very jealous over your heart. And he's very jealous of who it belongs to. And he wants it all for himself. So he says in response to this, guard your heart, for out of it are the well springs or the issues of life, says one translation. Now, we're not the only spirit beings that exist in eternity. There are angelic beings that exist. These angelic beings are made up of the same substance, and that is spirit. It's a spirit realm. Now, they may have flesh and bone bodies, but at the core... Angels are spirits. Now look what it says here in Isaiah 14 based upon talking about Lucifer's life. It says here in verse number 12, Oh, how art thou fallen from heaven, Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Now sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I'll be like the most high. The devil, before he was known as Diablos or the devil or uh, the accuser, Satan. He was known as the son of the morning or Lucifer. And he was a minister before God. Very high-ranking angel that had tremendous power, tremendous authority, tremendous responsibility. And he was entrusted by God 
But you see in the 14th verse of Isaiah that something happened, and that is his heart became lifted up with pride, and he began thinking himself to be more than he ought. And we know the story. He led a revolt in heaven. I talked about this two weeks ago. And he was cast down to the earth like lightning. Lucifer set forth a precedence in Scripture, and that is he was the first spirit that was lifted up with pride. And this is because he did not. He failed to protect his heart. God is most concerned about in us our heart. Our heart, our spirit is what houses the spirit of God. And this is the place that we fellowship with God out of. And because of this, God is very adamant that you protect your heart. You protect who has your heart. You protect what you feed your spirit. Because whatever you feed your spirit is going to eventually start contending for your spirit. And if you give it enough uh, attention, it's going to try and get it, get a hold of your heart and have complete access to your heart. So, the place of our heart, or our spirit, is the place that God consistently and constantly monitors. And so... When God sent the Holy Ghost to the earth, when he sent the Spirit of God to the earth, it is the Spirit of God's job not to work with our bodies. I remember I got filled with the Holy Ghost. My hair didn't look any different. My hands didn't look any different. My skin didn't look any different. But what I can tell you is that when the Spirit of God came in, he didn't start fixing my body, although he might bring healing. But beyond that, he didn't start doing anything to my body. But what he started doing was... He started locating the imperfections that were inside of my heart and began to improve them and increase them so that they can, it could get to a new level of fellowship with God. So, the Holy Ghost is after your heart to bring it to a place of better fellowship with God, but at the same time, the enemy, the devil, Diablos, he is after your heart so that he can begin to slowly reduce the fellowship that you have with him. And so we... See, all throughout the Word of God, mankind's heart jut exposed between the Lord and the elements of the earth. And this constant battle for the heart of man is the war that rages on today. Write this down if you're taking notes that the heart is the battlefield of the spirit realm. The real battle that's going on is going on in the heart of man. It's going on inside of man's spirit. Spirit beings are always after the heart. And that's why it says in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 that it's our responsibility to guard what comes in our heart. Write this down tonight if you're taking notes. I know that some people are listening in and they take notes. I want you to remember this point. There is a fine line between 99% of our heart and 100% percent of our heart now i know it's just a percentage of a difference i know when people hear that they say oh well you know brother palmer 99 might as well just be 100 percent of the heart how could there be any difference between 99 and 100 percent but when you're talking about eternal things let me say it like this when you're talking about sacred and consecrated things one percent makes a whole lot of difference i want to read out of Second Chronicles chapter 25, there's a king in this story, and his name is Amaziah. 
Amaziah, reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And this is what it says in verse number 2 of Second Chronicles chapter 25. And he, Amaziah, did that which was right in the sight of God. Now that's not the end of the sentence. He did what was right in the sight of God. A lot of people would say, well, that's, that's pretty good, doing right in the sight of God. When you see that in chapter 24 and 23 and 22, you have wicked kings that were doing idolatrous acts, false worship, immorality, pagan worship, cannibalism. And here comes Amaziah along, and he starts doing that was which was right in the sight of God. You may think, well, that's pretty good. But look what it says. But not with a perfect heart. Another translation says, but not with his whole heart. Amaziah served God and pleased the Lord with only part of his heart. And it could have been 99% of his heart, but he didn't serve the Lord with 100% of his heart. Remember this. You can be perfect in your ways. You can be upright in your obedience. And you can at the same time be backslidden in your heart. This is what Amaziah did. Amaziah did that which was right in the sight of God. Outwardly he was obedient. Outwardly he was upright. But when God looked at him he said, you know, he's doing the right thing, but he's not doing it with his whole heart. And this is where the story begins to take a turn. Because where we are focused on what we give God, the Holy Spirit is focused on the place in us that we hold back from God. Because there is going to come a place in your life, believer and friend, where you are called upon to give God the hundredth percent of your heart. You may serve in church, you may do good things, you may be out there doing what is right and what you perceive is right. But God wants to know you're doing it with your whole heart, 100% of you, because there will come a day, if you're given 99%, that He requires you to give the most expensive percent of your heart, and that's the 100th percent. And if you can't give Him that, you'll see that it's not your whole heart that you're serving God with. Look and examine your heart tonight, friend, when you consider all the different things that you're wrapped up in. All the different things that you're trying to do with God. God, whatever you're doing, if you do it with a... If, first of all, if the Lord has told you to do it. <clears throat> I don't believe in doing anything unless the Spirit of God tells you to do it. If He tells you to do something and you take action to do it, it's not worth doing unless you do it with 100% of your heart. And so the Holy Ghost's job... Knowing that eventually we will be called upon to give God the hundredth percent of our heart. It's his job to get you to prepare the part of you that will eventually be called upon to be presented. See, God's going to say at one point, ask you for your whole heart. And if you only have 99% of your heart that you can give to God, he's going to go over there and he's not going to start working with the 99%. He's going to start working with that one percent of your heart that you want to hold back from God. That you don't want to give that part to him. He's going to come and say, I need that 1%. And you're going to say, no, I'm not giving it to you. And he'll say, I need it. 
No, I don't want to give it to you, Holy Spirit. I need that 1%. Well, I can't give it. Holy Spirit, I can't give it to you. Give me that 1% of your heart. Holy Spirit, don't make me give up this 1%. Give me that percent of your heart that you will not give to God. And eventually, you're going to have to turn that percent loose. People think, well, I've given 99. I'm keeping this percent to myself. God says, give me that if you want to be fully blessed. Give me that part of your heart. And he's given and brought the Holy Ghost onto the scene as your spiritual helper to help you with the parts of you that have not yet been sanctified to God. The 99% of your heart is meaningful to God. You can look and say, I'm doing this with 99% of my heart. That's meaningful to you, but 100, the last percent, is what is meaningful to God. And you'll see in Scripture, you're just going to see this in just a second, that the 100%, the last percent of your heart, is the part of you that determines your destiny and your outcome. When we ask the Spirit of God to work our destiny, we're asking Him to work on the percentages of us that have not yet been yielded to God. God may look at your heart and say, uh-huh, doing ministry, okay, I see that, yeah, okay. Preaching the gospel, uh-huh, okay. Working and helping the homeless, yeah, I see that. Doing mission trips, yep, okay, that's wonderful. Uh, Preaching, cool. He may be saying counseling, wonderful. And then he says, now, let's look in their heart and see what percentage of their heart they're doing this strictly for me. And what percentage are doing this to be recognized. What percentage are doing this to build a name. What percentage of this is ambition. What percentage of this is out of uh, determination. And he'll say, all, he'll see all those parts of your heart that are not sanctified to him. That are of the wrong motive or the wrong reason. And he'll say, Holy Ghost, I've measured this person and 15% of their heart does not belong to me. 15% of their heart is dross. It's waste. It's rubbish. Go down there and get them to turn and surrender that 15% over to me. Because if they're not careful, that 15% will, will grow to 20. It will grow to 50. It will grow to 78%. And before it's consumed all the good intention... And now your heart is lifted up with pride. And so he wants 100% because once you have that 100%, it's that 100%. It's that percent that makes all the difference that's going to begin to steer your life. Say, Lord, I give you my whole heart. Look at me and find the areas of my life that are not completely surrendered to you. I want to serve you with my whole heart. Now... The story is interesting because it says here in number, verse number 3, It came to pass when the kingdom was established to Amaziah that he slew his servants that had killed the king, his father. But he didn't, he didn't kill their children because he did that which was according to the law of Moses. So he was a man that was upright. He was just. And then it says here in verse number 5 all the way to verse number 9 that Amaziah was preparing for a battle. And he received some particular instructions about how to win that battle. And it says here in verse number 11 that Amaziah strengthened himself, led forth his people, went to the valley of Sot, and smote the children of Seir, 10,000 in total. <clears throat> he went into a battle, came against his enemies, did what the Lord had told him to do, what the prophet had spoken. He he yielded to the voice of the Lord when the day of battle was at hand. 
And he was successful because he obeyed God. And it says here in verse number 13, excuse me, verse number 14, Now it came to pass after that Amaziah was come from the slaughter of the Edomites, the people he defeated in the battle, that he brought the gods of the children of Seir and set them up to be his gods and bowed down himself before them and burned incense unto them. Now, he just defeated this army. He just destroyed the Edomites by obeying the voice of God. And then after the day of battle is over, he lifts himself up in pride, takes the gods of the Edomites that he had defeated and set them up and began worshiping them. In verse 15 it says, The anger of the Lord was kindled against Amaziah, and a prophet appeared and said, Why have you sought after the gods of the people which could not deliver their own people out of thy hand? Now this is the interesting question. Why would this joker go in and kill the Edomites with the God of Israel on his side, and then after he defeats them, makes just runs them out with just a few men? See, before he went into battle, Amaziah hired all these other men. And they said to them, you don't need the, the prophet said to them, you don't need those other men. God's not for them. And because God's not for those men, he's not going to be for you. Get rid of them. So he goes into the battle, apparently shorthanded, and still wins because God's on his side. And then after he wins the battle, he takes the gods of the Edomites and sets them up and begins to worship those gods. I remember reading the story thinking to myself, what is this fool thinking? Why is he doing this? Why would he set up these false gods to do? What, what's the matter with him? And here's the issue that's going on here. The last percent of your heart, not the 99%, but the last percent is not seen before the battle or during the battle. It is always seen after the battle. Success always reveals the last percent of your heart or the lack thereof. When you succeed in the kingdom, when your miracle comes, when your breakthrough happens, when the Lord turns it around for you, and you get to the place that you've been praying for God to bring you to, you will always reveal at that moment, who has the last percent of your heart? Does it still belong to you? Is it still in your hands? Or does God have it? I'll give you an example. Ten lepers go to Jesus. Ten lepers are healed. One comes back to say thank you. Nine of them, 90% of the sick in this case, were in it for their own benefit. They weren't in it to be followers of Jesus. Jesus' mercy and grace extended past their motive. No doubt he knew their motive, why they, were sought, why they sought him out. But one comes back and thanks Jesus for healing him. He gave, after the healing happened, he gave Jesus thanks. He gave him thanksgiving. He was grateful. Jesus says, I thought there were ten lepers. Only one has come back to give thanks. That means that out of the ten lepers, only ten percent had a heart that was sanctified towards Jesus. Had a heart that was completely mindful of Jesus. And so, the reason that Amaziah turned to the gods of the Edomites... Oh, this is powerful. Now, I want you to catch this. Ah, oh, Jesus. 
feel the Holy Ghost up in the studio right now. Don't think for one second that Amaziah, oh, this is powerful now, that Amaziah, in going after the Adamites, the Edomites, didn't know the practices of those that worship the God of Seir. He observed the Edomites, he knew his enemy, and he knew how they worshiped their God. And there was a part of him, even though he was of the God of Israel, there was a part of him that secretly desired to worship the God of the Edomites so that he could indulge in the same fleshly indulgences and fleshly pleasures that the Edomites indulged them. And what kept him from doing that was he knew that he was going to eventually destroy them one day and that if he got involved in those practices, he would be destroyed come the day of battle. But after he had done the destroying, there was nobody left to destroy him. And so he felt now that the day of battle is over. I can do whatever I want because the battle is behind me and I can enjoy the practices of this God here and we're going to make them our God because the day of battle is over. See, Amaziah's heart deceived him into thinking it was him who won the battle for himself and because of that, the gods and the practices of the Edomites, he had earned them as his treat. See, he figured I can go into the Edomites and I can start worshiping their God and doing what I want to do because I've received the benefit of my God and I don't need him anymore. I've got what I want from him and I've got to the place that I need to be and God of Israel, you've taken me this far, now I'm going to veer off the course. And the reason was is because he never had a completely sanctified heart to begin with. He was only in it so he could win battles. He was only in it so that he could succeed. He was only in it for God's strong hand, but his heart was not totally committed to God. And when he saw that he could conveniently pick up the practices of the Edomites without, in his mind, any apparent rep, uh, 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 any type of being reprimanded, he said, I'm going to pick these gods up because they're convenient. You know why? Because the Edomite gods did not require 100% of his heart. They didn't require the last percent. And they allowed him to serve these gods and still not have to check his pride. He could worship the god of the Edomites and allow his pride to be lifted up. See, when people go astray from God, they do it a lot of times because of their pride. You can't be in prayer and be in pride at the same time. You can't be in worship and be in pride at the same time. You can't come before God Almighty and your pride continue to exist and self-glory and self-glorification continue to be inflamed because he will extinguish it and put it to death. But some people say, hey, I don't want to get away. I like this pride. I like thinking who I am. I, I enjoy walking with this ego. And they move away from worship and they find a God that's convenient or they make up some type of God that won't 
demand that they turn that pride loose. And that's exactly what Amaziah was doing. So, if... Now, but you, but you say, well, the Bible said he served God. Yeah, he served God probably with 99% of his heart. But the 1% is what steered him over into the other gods. When the 100% of your heart is not sanctified, the 99% of your heart will lead you into deception. There's people that are serving God with 99% of their heart, and that 99% starts speaking to them and says to them, look at all that we're doing for God. Look how wonderful we are. Look at how great we are. Look at all. Look at how different we are. And that 99% lifts them up in the pride. And guess what? When that does that, it's just a matter of time before the enemy comes in and he takes that 100% of your heart. It says here in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruits of his doing. God is consistently monitoring our hearts, figuring out why we do what we do, seeing what it is that we're doing and why we're doing it. And he knows if he has 100% of your heart, and he knows the part of you that you don't want to turn loose. Now, here's something that's interesting. When you begin to study the life of David, and you begin to study the life of the kings in the book of First Kings and Second Kings, you'll start to see that most of this book is referring to the state and conditions of the hearts of the kings of Israel. And <clears throat> one of the greatest kings in all the Bible is King Solomon. He's a child of King David. And it says here in verse in chapter 9 of 1 Kings, And it came to pass when Solomon had finished the building of the house of the Lord and the king's house, which is his personal house, and all Solomon desires, which he was pleased to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he had appeared. And the Lord says, I have heard thy prayer and thy supplication. And it says in verse number four, if thou wilt walk before me as thy father David did in integrity of heart and in uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded thee and will keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of thy kingdom upon Israel forever. Notice the very first thing that God warned Solomon about, and that was the integrity of his heart. He put that before uprightness. That goes back to what I'm saying. He didn't just say upright, because you can be upright in your actions and still backslidden and far from God in your heart. That's called religion. That's what people do. They're pious, but their heart is off, and their heart is wrong. And what God is saying is, I want you to walk holy, and I want you to walk upright, and I want you to keep my laws, and I want you to keep everything that I told you to keep while you're under the Old Testament. But at the same time, I want your heart to be full of integrity. You know, when you have an integral heart, you may miss it from time to time, but you'll admit it. People that are full of integrity, when they do something they shouldn't do, or they offend somebody, they go up to the offended and they ask for forgiveness. They don't hold off things for days and months. They don't fight themselves. When they do something, they are accountable to themselves, and they take the accountability, and they go and say, hey, listen, it was my mistake. It was my fault. Forgive me. When people are of integral hearts before God and they make a mistake, they don't take 15 days to repent. They don't go and use it as an excuse to live in sin. They get on their knees right at that moment. And a heart full of sorrow 
and godly sorrow for sinning. And they ask God for their, his forgiveness, for his cleansing ability, and they don't continue to wallow around in that sin over and over and over again. And God is warning Solomon because he had already searched Solomon's heart. He knew inside of Solomon there was a proclivity for his heart to be turned astray. And I can guarantee you, see, <clears throat> it's amazing that after Solomon builds this grand house for the Lord and fulfills the command of his father David and this prophetic utterance that came from the mouth of David speaking into the purpose and destiny of Solomon's life, that after he does it, God doesn't pat Solomon on the back. God gives him a warning. And he says, Solomon, if you don't sanctify your heart, I cannot keep you on the throne of Israel. And you're going to see what happens to Solomon when we come back after this commercial break. Stay tuned.
And we're back here on the Transforming Truth radio broadcast. We're talking about the heart. We're talking about sanctifying it before God. Now listen, here's Solomon, just finishes the throne of Israel, excuse me, the temple where God was going to put the Ark of the Covenant, where the throne of Solomon would, or whatever king of Israel would be. And God didn't just pat him on the back. God gave Solomon a command. He says in verse number 6, If you shall... If you shall at all turn from following me, ye or your children, and will not keep my commandments and my statutes which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them, and this house which I have hallowed for my name, and I will cast out of my sight, and Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among the people. Boy, God sure is tough. <clears throat> and he says, and they shall answer because they forsook the God, the Lord their God, who brought forth their fathers out of the land of Egypt. This was a warning. God was basically telling Solomon, your heart needs to stay right where it needs to be, and your heart needs to stay upright before me. Well, look at verse number, <laughs> look at First Kings chapter 10. It says in verse number 1, And when the queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. This was a very powerful woman. She came to Jerusalem with a very great train, with camels that bear spices, very much gold, and precious stones. Very wealthy woman. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. And Solomon told her all questions. And there was not anything hid from the king which he told her not. And this is what I want to point out. It says in verse number 4, And when the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom, and the house he had built, and the meat of his table, the sitting of his servants, the attendance of his ministers, their apparel and his cupbearers, and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. That means she was in awe. She saw the excellence that Solomon operated in. She saw how Solomon treated holy things. She saw that every Levite, every priest, everybody ministering on duty in the house of the Lord was perfect. And she said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in my own land of thy acts and thy wisdom. I believed not the words until I came, and my eyes have seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceeds the fame which I heard. Happy are your men, happy are these servants which stand continually before thee, and that hear your wisdom. And then she said, Blessed be the Lord thy God, which thou delighted in, to set thee on the throne of Israel. Here's the thing. Solomon had all his ducks in a row, boy, I tell you. He had everything. He sanctified the house of God. He told and went down and, and, and went down to Lebanon and had cedars shipped up from Lebanon, exotic trees. He had the finest gold. The Bible says that silver in that day was counted as nothing because there was such an abundance of gold. Richest man, people were trafficking in everywhere to see what he had set apart for God. But God had warned him about his heart. I find that interesting. Somehow God must have looked down and said, uh-huh, okay, I see here, yeah, there's the temple, uh-huh, 
There's the outer court. Yeah, okay, there it is. There's the inner court. Okay, yep, plans are perfect. Mm-hmm. Well, there come the shields here that, that, that David passed down to Solomon. Oh, here come the vessels. Here come the cups. Here comes, <clears throat> excuse me, here comes the silverware. Okay. Here come the trumpets. Oh, here's the priestly garments. There they are. Yep, okay, the labor. Okay, yep, we see it all. It's all here. And then he looked and said, I'm going to look at Solomon's heart now. And he saw something in Solomon's heart where Solomon had sanctified everything outwardly. He had not sanctified a part of his heart. There was something in his heart that he held back for himself just like Amaziah. Amaziah said, I'm going to take God into battle. 99%, but I owe myself this 1%. I owe myself this pleasure. I owe myself to set up the gods of Seir and worship frivolously without any responsibility. I, I Look at all I did for God. I can, take a, I can take some time. I can have these gods on the side. Well, for Solomon, didn't start off as false gods. It says here in verse chapter 11, verse number 1, But Solomon loved many strange women. Together with the daughters of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zedians, and Hittites. These are the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, You shall not go into them. People say, Why didn't God let Israel go into the Ammonites and the, and the, and the Egyptians and the Moabites? It's not because they wouldn't make beautiful children. And it's not because their temperaments were you know, not compatible with the men of Israel. It was because, it says here, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. <clears throat> there was something about the power that's in this relationship. You know, you get involved women with a man, or a man, you get involved with a woman, and one thing turns to the next and things are emotional then things turn physical then conversation and then you can involve physically with them all that starts laying out dictates before your heart now that's all in God's plan if you're doing it right and if you're doing it in marriage there's a progression of things you're supposed to be intimate with somebody but when you're intimate with somebody or have been intimate with somebody what's going to happen is they're going to start to influence you and they are going to start steering how you think. And they will begin to leave a mark or set a precedent for how you proceed forward. <clears throat> and it says here, and he had 700 wives, princesses. These weren't just any women. They were princesses. And 300 concubines. So he had a thousand women at his beckoning command. All he had to do was and bring in so-and-so. Bring in so-and-so. I want to converse with so-and-so. I want to sleep with so-and-so. And it says, and his wives turned away his heart. Solomon had sanctified everything to God except for the 1% of his heart. Verse 4 says, It came to pass when Solomon was old that his wife turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God. He, now he's back, he's back into the boat with Amaziah now, serving God on the outside, winning battles 
on the outside, making things happen, mover and a shaker, doing the right things, making an impact for the nation of Israel, making an impact for uh, Jesus to come the first time. See, Amaziah, Solomon, David, all these kings, they were just pawns to bring forth the first advent of the Messiah. That's all they're doing by carrying the ark. That's all they're doing by establishing the nation of Israel. Just making a seat whereby the Messiah can come. Well, what do you think we're doing now as the church? We are doing the exact same thing as priests and kings before Almighty God, preparing the way of the second advent of God. And we get sometimes so caught up in the work of the ministry, so caught up in doing things before God, that we really forget. That what God is really monitoring is our heart. Where is it stand before God? <clears throat> That's why, friend, He has sent the Holy Ghost to us. The Holy Ghost cannot work with any part of you except for your spirit. He doesn't work. The Word of God works on your mind. You're transformed by the renewing of your mind through the washing of water by the Word of God. You're, you need the Word of God to renew your mind. But the Holy Spirit has been given to our spirit to work with the parts of you that you don't want to turn loose. He looks at the parts of you that love foreign women. And what I mean by foreign women are the things that God has forbidden. He looks at the parts of you that want to worship strange gods and he says, give that part of your heart to me. A hard heart frustrates the spirit of God. You might say, well, the Holy Spirit is, is happy with 90% of my heart. Yeah, but 10% he's frustrated with because you weren't throwing it loose to God. And the Spirit of God cannot work with the places in your heart that you have roped off and say, police line, do not cross. Don't put that police tape over those parts of your heart. Satan is always after your heart. He wages war on the presence of God by getting a hold of your heart. See, there's a there's a scripture in First Chronicles chapter 21, and it says that Satan provoked David to number Israel. Why did Satan provoke David to number Israel? Well, it says in that scripture that David wanted to know how many people were in Israel. Well, God didn't want to know. God didn't tell David he wanted to know how many people were in Israel. David wanted to know for himself. What he knew there were a lot of people. He knew there was a record amount of people. And the only reason he wanted to know was so that he could be lifted up with pride. <clears throat> and God saw right through it. And God was more concerned, not that he took a number. God wasn't so concerned about the number of people that were in Israel. God was concerned that pride had gotten into the heart of the king. And that's why Israel was punished for David's actions because Israel was now being led by the very same spirit that caused Satan to be cast to the earth. <clears throat> and so, uh, when you look at Acts chapter 5-3, let me just share this and we'll close. Acts chapter 5-3, going over into the New Testament. There's a story of Ananias and Sapphira. It says in verse chapter 5, But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession. And it says in verse number 2, And kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and, bought a, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. In verse number 3 it says, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in your heart? 
Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. What is the real issue here? Was God mad that he told Ananias that Ananias didn't give him part of that field? Do you think God really thought his kingdom couldn't grow with that part of Ananias and Sapphira's field? You think God couldn't go without that part of his field, or a part of that money that he sold? He needed that money. He needed that money. Of course not. God, God didn't get it. The whole thing, and the kingdom of God went on, and Acts continued to go on. It wasn't that God was upset about the field. God was upset because He tested the heart of Ananias, and He tested the heart of Sapphira, and they held back part of the land. Now, it wasn't the land that God was concerned about. It was his heart. If they sold 100% of the land and gave 75% of the price of it to the disciples, that means 25% of their heart was not consecrated to God. That means that if their heart was a cup, God had filled 25% of it, uh, excuse me, 75% of it, and the other 25% they left empty, and the enemy came in and filled that part of their heart and spoiled all the rest. You can have the Word of God in your heart, friend. But if you don't fill your heart with the Word of God, the enemy is going to come in and he's going to start sowing evil seed and he's going to start causing those tares to grow up in there until your whole field is full of tares. If you don't guard your field, if you don't guard your soil, that's exactly what Ananias and Sapphira did wrong. And the enemy came in and totally wiped them out. And Peter said to them, he said, why has Satan filled your heart? This is the exact thing that happened to David. This is the exact tactic that Satan used on Jesus when he tried to get Jesus to uh, sell out for all the kingdoms of the world. In Matthew chapter 4. Tried to appeal to his pride. That's exactly what the devil tries to do to you. He tries to locate parts of you that he doesn't know. He has to tempt you. He has to try your heart. The devil has to try your heart to see where your heart is at. And he is always looking for a part of your heart that is not sanctified. He's always going to come along and give you tests of your heart that are not, that don't belong to God. And he went in and uh, he found a part in Ananias and Sapphira's heart that was not sanctified. And he filled it. And the wages of sin is death. And because he filled that part of his heart, Ananias and Sapphira, <clears throat> completely wiped off. It wasn't the Holy Ghost that killed. I've heard people teach that the Holy Ghost killed Ananias and Sapphira. No, he didn't. The Holy Ghost isn't out there killing people. When they kept back part of their heart, it removed the hand of God's protection over their life. And Satan came in and gave them the wages of their disobedience, and that was death. Solomon, same thing happened to him. Amaziah, same thing happened to him. King Saul, when he was lifted up in pride, same thing happened to him. And Lucifer, same thing happened to him. When your heart is lifted up in pride, no wonder it says, uh, Proverbs 16, 18, that pride cometh before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. I'll say it like this. When you don't sanctify your whole heart before God, the enemy comes in and fills it up and your death is just down the road. Your destruction is just waiting for you. So let's make a decision tonight, friend, that we want to sanctify our hearts before God. I believe in miracles and signs and wonders, but people that operate in miracles, 
people that pray for the sick and heal those that are that are in need and bring deliverance to people, their hearts especially need to be sanctified so that when that starts happening in their life, they don't get lifted up with pride and think it was something that they're doing above the rest. Let me pray for you tonight, friend. Father, I thank you for all the listeners tonight. Lord, we consecrate our hearts to you. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I give you my heart. I thank you for your Holy Ghost. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to find the parts of me that have not been sanctified to you and take those parts. I surrender my whole heart to you. I don't want to be like Amaziah and give you 99%. I want to give you 100%. I want to walk like David. Man after your own heart, God. I pray for every listener tonight in the name of Jesus. I break the power of the devil over their lives. I release your fire and your strength into them now in Jesus' name. And I pray, Father, for every person listening with cancer. Listening, Father, with problems and sores. Some of you are listening, you have sores all over your mouth. I just see that by the Holy Ghost. In the name of Jesus, I command that sickness to come out of your body in the name of Jesus. To loose your body right now. In the name of Jesus, I break the power of the devil. And I command your body to be whole. I command it to be healed. And I command it to be well. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We're going to continue next week. 12.15 a.m. on the Transforming Truth Radio broadcast. I want to make a very special announcement. My good friend, evangelist Mary Frost. A powerhouse in the Lord. She used to have a radio program here. Uh, on 103.5 WMUZ. She is going to be ministering at the River Church. At the Embassy Suites Hotel, 28100 Franklin Road, Southfield, Michigan. Um, actually, tomorrow afternoon at 3 p.m. And she'll be a blessing to you. So if you want to hear evangelist or prophetess Mary Frost, Embassy Suites Hotel, 28100 Franklin Road, Southfield, Michigan. She'll be ministering there for Pastor Marlon Reed. It'll be a powerful time in the Holy Ghost. I encourage that you go. Also... We have some more services that Chris Palmer Ministries is planning coming up here in the late fall. And so we'll give you more information about those as they come. Uh, we love you, friend. Remember, we are a listener-supported broadcast. Go on and support us, www.chrispalmerministries.com. This show has been a blessing to you if you've been learning. The Bible says in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, Give and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Paul said in Scripture to the Philippians church, he says to the Philippians that you once and again, he said, sent uh, unto his necessity. It says in verse number 14, Notwithstanding you have done well that you communicated with my affliction. You Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye. It says in verse 16, For even in Thessalonica you sent once again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire that fruit may abound into your account, but I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing unto God. But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. There is a principle in scripture called seed, time, and harvest. We encourage you, sow your seed into Chris Palmer Ministries as we continue to go forth, as I go to Italy to preach the gospel, as our book comes out, as we continue to purchase more radio time. Be a part of what God is doing and sow into this ministry. We love you, friend. You can get a hold of us. Info at chrispalmerministries.com 
or you can visit us on the web, www.chrispalmerministries.com. We love you, friend. We'll be here next week, 12, 15 a.m. on the Transforming Truth Radio broadcast. God bless you, and we'll see you next week. Now that you've received the transforming truth of the Word of God, go deeper. Go to our website, chrispalmerministries.com, or log on to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash chrispalmerministries. Then partner with Chris financially at Chris Palmer Ministries, P.O. Box 403, Walled Lake, Michigan, 48390. And tune in again every Saturday night at 1215 a.m. for Transforming Truth with Chris Palmer on WMUZ 103.5 FM, The Light.